Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 11. So then, my dear family, it comes down to this. Celebrate in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you, and it's safe for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the bad works people. Watch out for the incision party, that is, the mutilators. We are the circumcision, you see. We who worship God by the Spirit and boast in King Jesus and refuse to trust in the flesh. Mind you, I've got good reason to trust in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that they have reason to trust in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Race, Israelite. Tribe, Benjamin. Descendant, uh, descent, Hebrew through and through. Torah observance, a Pharisee. Zealous, I persecuted the church. Official status under the law, blameless. Does that sound as though my account was well in credit? Well, maybe. But whatever I had written in on the prophet side, I calculated it instead as a loss. Because of the Messiah. Yes, I know that's weird, but there's more. I calculate everything as a loss. Because knowing King Jesus as my Lord is worth far more than everything else put together. In fact, because the Messiah... Because of the Messiah, I've suffered the loss of everything, and I now calculate it as trash, so that my prophet may be the Messiah, and that I may be discovered in him, not having my own covenant status defined by Torah, but the status which comes through the Messiah's faithfulness, the covenant status from God which is given to faith. This means knowing him knowing the power of his resurrection, and knowing the partnership of his sufferings. It means sharing the form and patterns of his death, so that somehow I may arrive at the final resurrection from the dead. Hear the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you all. I um, yeah, just also want to mention uh, we haven't got Father Steve again with us. He's uh, been a bit unwell. He's had a couple of weeks off for, uh, for sick leave. So unfortunately, hopefully he'll be back for our next service. Um, but yeah, let's be just praying for him. And um, he's still unsure of what is wrong. So he's still waiting for tests and different things. So uh, yeah, I encourage you to just pray for him. Um, Hopefully he'll be back for our next service in a couple of weeks. But, yeah, we're exploring this scripture here in Philippians 3 um, and kind of presenting some, a bit of a purpose and uh, vision for us uh, for this year and, and ahead. Uh, but as a, as a young youth pastor, I was a, McKenna and I were youth pastors uh, at our, our last church or in our other church in Hepburn Heights, our mother church. And um, there was one year, it was probably about two or three years into being youth pastors, that we were asked uh, to go to a national conference and run this youth pastors workshop. And uh, we felt pretty inadequate. We were like, why would you choose us? Like, obviously, we're going to get the speakers. We're just facilitating it. We're not speaking at it. We're just kind of organizing it. Uh, But we kind of were like, who are we? We're just these little, little kind of people in Perth. Uh, asked to run this big national C3 
um, a youth pastors workshop, and yeah, we didn't feel like we were that good enough, but uh, we, you know, we said yes, and uh, yeah, ran ran with it, and uh, in through the process, uh, we met the the then Australia director, uh, Pastor John Pierce, who, um, if you've been to Hepburn Heights, you're familiar with. Uh, Pastor John Pierce, who uh, is now kind of the executive pastor for the C3 Global. Um, and uh, he straight away, um, kind of the first moment, he, he like I shook hands, he knew who I was, knew what we were doing, and was just so invested in me. So from the get go, uh, just wanted to, to, it felt like he wanted to actually know who I was. And it's like, I, you know, felt like a nobody. And this, this guy's running the conference and he's so invested. And then every time since kind of talking to him, he's always picked up on little things of, of my life and is invested in that. He's actually remembered things about me. Uh, and it made me feel like, oh, wow, this, this is nice. Like a, a, an important person sees me as like thinks that I'm okay, like and sees importance and value in me. Uh, and yeah, there's this, this thing with us. We feel like there's this status that is important to us. Like we want to be known by people and feel like being known by others is, is, a, is a cool thing. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we read here in the scripture about status and about Paul's status and what he thought about status. And we're going to explore this a little bit tonight. Uh, before I do, I'm just going to move the speaker so it's not ringing the whole night. Uh, yeah, come on. Thanks. I'm just moving this, guys. <laughs> it was annoying me. So I feel like it was annoying somebody else. Come on. <laughs> Uh, so the status, our status is important, and it's uh, yeah important that we actually recognise that the way people see us is it's yeah it's important. But the thing is, with our world, uh, our status and reputation is large, largely made up of this outward appearance, and uh, it, we, that affects us, particularly when like if we say something. That's silly in a conversation. We're like, why did I say that? Like, we have these thoughts. Like, why did I say that? Like that thing. Or if someone critiques what you're wearing, you're like, you kind of question yourself. Uh, we have often in our world, there's this outward appearance about what you like. The successes of what you've done matters to the outward appearance. Uh, but as we see uh, in the scripture. There is so much going on that who we are and our status is actually so much more about who Christ is in us than actually what we've achieved and done for ourselves. Here in the scripture, Paul is addressing these, these Christians in uh, this church in Philippi. The apostle Paul is, is trying to urge these Christians, and a, a large portion of these Christians would have been Gentile believers, people who weren't Jewish from birth, but uh, would have grown up as a Gentile, would, would have grown up not being circumcised. But for some reason, Paul actually calls them the circumcision. And he calls them the very people of God. And the circumcision was like a mark of saying, you are a part of the people of God. You are these chosen people that God has called out, the Jewish people. Uh, and it was this symbol, this mark of who we are to identify, I am a child of God. And so these Christians, these new Christians that have been brought into uh, the, the relationship with Jesus and brought into the Jewish family through Jesus Christ, uh, Paul is saying, you too are the circumcision because of what Christ has done in you. And so there's, uh, 
yeah, the, there was other Christians, and in, in, as we read the book of Philippians, you, you notice that Paul is trying to address how there are other types of believers, people who follow Jesus but are saying there, there's a Torah way of living. There's a, this way that's about the law, fulfilling the law. And it's not enough that, that you follow Jesus. It's not enough that you know Jesus. You actually need to also follow the practices of the law in able to actually be in this, this relationship with God, this relationship with Jesus. And so there was these other Christians that were trying to say, Jesus, knowing Jesus isn't enough. There's more required of you. But Paul says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the dogs. This, uh, and I love, like this translation. Be bad, watch out for those bad works people, who, who are the, the incision party, the people who are trying to cut you off and, and trying to actually reduce you to actually say, if you do these rules, then you will also fit in to what Jesus is trying to do. Paul is coming against that and trying to uh, help them to see you are the circumcision. We who worship God by the Spirit and boast in King Jesus and refuse to trust in the flesh. We are those who have been marked by God to follow him. We are those who have that status around who he is. And, uh, yeah, it's important for us to be aware of the, the voices in our world, the voices that are, are trying to, to, as Paul said, we have to watch out for those voices. Uh, they're trying to reduce us to make us feel little, make us feel like we're not important, make us feel like we need to do X, Y, Z before we're recognized or noticed. We need to watch out for those people in our world and, and sometimes can be Christians, but sometimes out in the world that want to reduce us to that status of you're not important enough. You'd have haven't got what it takes. You you haven't got what is in you, and particularly in our world of at the moment of fear, where there's this this fear mandate, where we almost there's a, from our world. You you need to have fear in your life. You don't know what's going on. Everything's confusing. There needs to be this fear. We need to watch out as followers of Jesus and actually be aware of the stories that are being told, because ultimately what these other Christians in in Philippi were doing where they were telling an alternate story. They were telling an alternate gospel to the one of Jesus Christ as king. And they were trying to get people to, to live in that way. And we need to be aware of the alternate stories that are being told and actually say, no, I, I'm not going to be that. I, I trust in Jesus. This is who I am. I am still marked as someone who is filled with the Spirit of God, boasting in King Jesus, refusing to trust in my flesh, but trusting in who God is. And so our, our status, our importance, how we see ourselves, it does matter in our world. It's, it's, it, you know, we're, we're lying to ourselves if we think that doesn't matter, we just follow Jesus, my status, does, it doesn't matter. We're lying to ourselves, that, it, like it matters. But what really matters is that we truly find our status in Christ. We find that in him. And so then Paul kind of explains his outward status. He explains the, how he was brought up and the accolades that he has in, in being the, the, the most fervent, uh, zealous, passionate Jewish person. Uh, and so he had this outward status to, to uh, be able to um, talk about himself but then he, he beautifully goes into how it, that doesn't, didn't matter. 
beautifully goes into the, he, how he sees that all as a loss. And verse 7 to 8, he says, Whatever I had written on the prophet's side, I calculated it instead as a loss because of the Messiah. Yes, I know that's weird, but there's more. I calculate everything as a loss because knowing King Jesus as my Lord is worth far more than everything else put together. This is amazing scripture of how Paul is, is he's using an accounting term here of profit and loss, where we, we can see in the natural realm this, these profits of, yes, I've, I've got this successful career. Yes, people notice me. Yes, this is happening. This is, I've got some wealth going for me. I've got a good family happening, this profit column. But what Paul is doing, he flips it. And this is the nature of the kingdom of, that Jesus brought. It's an upside-down kingdom that is totally different to our world the values system, and he flips and says that all oh, those things I actually consider as a loss compared to knowing Jesus as my Lord. I calculate everything as a loss compared to actually having him so close to me and knowing him, having this intimate relationship with him. Everything else is like a loss compared to knowing Jesus. Is super important. And then in verse 9, he says, In that I may be discovered in him, not having my own covenant status defined by Torah, defined by my good works, but defined by what I can do right and wrong, but the status which comes through Messiah's faithfulness, through Jesus' faithfulness. And previously in Philippians Jesus' faithfulness was about him uh, in obedience, going to the cross, him in obedience, trusting the Father and giving his life in sacrifice. His, his faithfulness led to his resurrection and redeeming of life. And this is a beautiful picture of what, what justification looks like, that we've uh, been justified, given status, given worth through just knowing him. And our status and worth isn't based on how much we've done right and wrong, but our, our status is, is, is based on knowing him, trusting him, learning how to build our faith in letting him into our lives as he as king is so important. This is what gives us that status and that worth is trusting and knowing him. And in verse 10, this, this means knowing him knowing the power of his resurrection and knowing the partnership of his sufferings. It means sharing the form and pattern of his death that somehow I may arrive at the final resurrection from the dead. This is knowing him in his sufferings, but it's also knowing him in the resurrection, knowing that as we trust in everything, that you know, we're going to go through hardship and difficulty, but it, we know that as we trust him, he's going to redeem something. He's going to bring new life. He's going to bring new creation into our environment, into our settings, that we trust him through the difficulty and know that he will redeem things. He will renew things. And so... This, this summing up of Paul's status, of his worth, his status is defined by knowing Christ. It's simple. It's a simple thing to think about and actually ponder on. His status, his importance is based upon knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. 
And so for us uh, at C3 North Perth and what we're doing, um, we're just going to, there's a, a new kind of statement and a bit of values that we want to mark us by as a church and what we're doing as a location here. Uh, there's a statement that kind of we've worked through with our team and uh, Michaela and I have been thinking about how can we actually help us to, to live in the way that we're called as, as a community and, you know, partnering with St. Luke's, we love that what we get to do, partnering with St. Luke's. And so there's this new statement that I want us to kind of live in at the moment and uh, almost use it as a purpose, as a way of living, a way that actually marks us. Uh, to help us communicate kind of where we're going, what direction we're heading, how we can build the kind of lives that Christ is calling us to do in this setting, in this environment. And uh, there's a statement that is, it is this, it's to know Jesus and demonstrate his love together. There's a statement that's in the booklets, there's a piece of paper that is not connected and some purpose. Uh, To know Jesus and demonstrate his love together. This key statement that I want us to, to kind of live in. And yeah, it's, for me, it's, it's, it's not just kind of a nice words. It's actually a way of living. It's something that I go, this is kind of the way that I want to live. This is the kind of person I want to be. And yes, it's kind of very Jesus teaching of love God and love others. But there's just some key factors of what is important for us and what I want us as a community, as a, as a location to really step into, to allow God at the center of who we are, to allow him to change all of who we are. And firstly, we have this priceless privilege of knowing Christ, this priceless privilege of knowing him, of actually knowing him. is just amazing that we get to know him. This is at the, the, the beginning of this statement. This is at the heart of what Paul was trying to get at, to know Jesus, that I will be someone that, that hungers to know him, that I'm going to be someone as, as I live. This focus is to know Jesus. And as we know him more, as he le- comes into our life and it impacts all that we're doing, what, what comes out of that is that we demonstrate his love. We actually act in love to others. We're we're thinking of how we can care for the poor. We're thinking about our our family members or those in the community that that are doing it tough and actually think about how I can demonstrate the love that God has put in me to others. And then it brings it with the last word is being together. Brings it together with together. There's this sense that... um, this is not just something that is this individual pursuit that we're just trying to achieve by ourselves. But uh, from, you know, from the beginning of what, what we've done as, as a location is that this togetherness has always been so, so important for us. That's why we do dinner church once every second week. Uh, that's, that's yeah, why we've kind of been partnering with St. Luke's and we want to continue to partner with, with different churches around. There's this togetherness that is important, that we're not trying to just do this by ourselves. We need each other. We need each other. And so uh, we want to know Jesus together, and we want to d- demonstrate his love together and go on this, this journey of, you know, this Christian journey of just trying to live as, as God calls us. And so this is our marker statement that I want us to let guide us, guide how we live and act. And then there's these four pillars underneath that are are written here um, in this piece of paper. 
that again just give words to what we're trying to achieve and how God is calling us to to uh, let God shape us and these four words of of grace formation table and mission the wrapped under the the to know Jesus together is this grace and formation and uh, and then under this demonstrate his love together is this table and this mission so firstly grace Grace is the gift of his love, the gift of knowing him, the gift of being his children, loved and of worth and of status. Grace is the thing that we don't deserve, that God gives freely, that he gives by his cost, the great cost of giving his life. Jesus has given us this amazing grace. There's this, a, a quote from Dallas Willard, says that the greatest saints are not those who need less grace, but those who consume the most grace, who indeed are most in need of grace, those who, sat, who are saturated by grace in every dimension of their being. Grace to them is like breath. It's a beautiful picture that... The, when we think of, of grace, we can think, you know, the more I become a Christian, that's like grace is at the, at the beginning, the salvation level. And, you know, once I know that I'm saved and given this worth, I, then I don't need grace. But, you know, what he's trying to say is, no, grace is, is at the heart of the, even the greatest saints. They, they live on his grace. They realize that all that we are and all that we have is given to, to us by the gift of his grace, that we have been able to reach and be successful or do this and that by the gift of his grace. We are not given it because we are so good, but we've been humbly given this because of his grace, that we need his grace more and more in our lives every day. And this is not a cheap grace version where I just get to do whatever I like because God loves me and he'll just forgive me. Not a cheap grace, but a costly grace of realizing the sacrifice Jesus gave to give his life. We want to actually live in that and humble ourselves to actually surrender our lives and cost. It costs us something to surrender who we are to enable his grace at the very heart of us. It's giving our lives to him every day and saying, God, I, I don't know what, what I'm doing. I don't have everything sorted. I need you. I need you. Stepping into those places of grace. And grace in our everyday looks like an intimacy with, with God, an intimacy in, in our, our moments, spending time just thinking about him, letting him change our feelings having time throughout our day to actually communicate with him, this intimacy with him. Grace in everyday looks like our identity being shaped by his faithfulness and by the status of who he is, who Christ is, not on our good works, but who we are and our identity is shaped on who Christ is, not by how much I've done. Grace in our everyday looks like an indwelling of God's Spirit, enabling us and empowering us and shaping us to be the people He's calling us to be, to act in the, the gifts that He has for us. Grace needs to mark us in our everyday. Secondly, we have formation. As grace marks us, then we, we then need to be formed by the ways and the practices of Jesus, this upside-down kingdom way of living. We need to learn his ways, as, as Jesus put it, to learn his ways. 
And as I mentioned, there, there are so many alternate stories that our world are telling. There's different ways of living that the, the world and the culture is, is trying to get us to live in. These stories of success or perfection or family, even stories of fear that our, our culture is trying to uh, form us in. Uh, and what, what our call as Christians are is that we need to continue to be formed by the story of Jesus. We need to be continually formed by his good news, the, the good news of Jesus Christ as king, and let that change how we think and act. Let that be the thing that forms us and makes us and transforms us into the very people he calls us to be. Again, another quote from Dallas Willard says, Now, the simplicity of spiritual formation lies in its intention. Its aim is to bring every element in our being, working from the inside out into harmony with the will of God and the kingdom of God. This is the simple focus. We must keep it constantly before us, not be distracted by other things, no matter how good they may appear. This is the intention of spiritual formation, that we continue to bring everything in harmony with God, in harmony with his will, in harmony with his heart, aligning with him. And so formation now every day looks like our spiritual practices, actually thinking about the, diff, the, the many different spiritual practices. There's you know, silence and solitude. There's fasting. There's, there's just moments of prayer and moments of reading the Bible, these spiritual practices that uh, we can let God shape us in. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit coming alive in us, actually being people of love, joy, peace, and so on, being people of His Spirit that actually comes out of us because as we engage with God's Spirit, we can't help but His fruit be produced in our lives. It means uh, that spiritual gifts are working in us, that we actually think about what it means who, who God has called us to be and the very spiritual gifts that are in us that, that is enabled in us by the Spirit. We actually allow those and think about them and give time to be formed in them and, and go to God and go, God, shape this gift in me so that I can bring your life to the world. And um, on that note, on spiritual gifts, uh, as if you are here last week for our school Sunday, we uh, had a, a teaching from John Thompson about deliverance. It wasn't that. That was great. Going to some spiritual warfare. Who loves it? You know, it's, it's just nice talking about deliverance on a Sunday. Um, so he then kind of has this whole thing about spiritual gifts and how, you know, the work of the Spirit is not just kind of in the deliverance, these rubber shundai moments of seeing demons go and things. <laughs> anyway, the, the work of the Spirit is in uh, actually learning our spiritual gifts. And the strength of actually learning our spiritual gifts is as we are a, a body, we're the body of Christ. We actually are formed together to help one another to build the body of Christ. And he calls us that, the, the body parts, so that we may actually bring the benefit to one another and to this world. And so as we learn the spiritual gifts, we can strengthen one another. We realize that we don't need to do everything. We realize that I don't need to be good at all these gifts. We actually have to lean into one another. And so we're going to be starting an ID group. We've got some similar to connect groups or small groups. We're going to be running what's called ID groups, which is intentional discipleship groups. 
uh, and they uh, we're running uh, a couple this year. One are around prayer, uh, which there's going to be a prayer meeting Thursday nights, Thursday evenings here at St. Luke's. Um, with Ellen running that one, uh, and we're also going to be running some uh, groups around spiritual gifts based on John Thompson's book, Convergence, uh, which kind of goes in deep about these spiritual gifts, and it's kind of really good stuff to actually figure out what does this look like for us, and it's some great, it'll create some great discussions about, you know, what are the, spirit, what are the spiritual gifts in me that um, can help us build one another up, and so... Um, we're gonna. There's an opportunity to either do that in person at our house, uh, which is just in East Perth, uh, or you can also. We, we're also uh, going to be starting an online one if you can't get to one physically. Wednesday once a fortnight, Wednesday evenings. And so, um, if you want to sign up, Ruth's going to be walking around uh, after the service, uh, and so you can sign up with her with one of those groups. Um, as we yeah keep thinking about spiritual gifts and how they can help us and strengthen one another. Thirdly, is everyone doing okay? Everyone good? It's good. Thirdly, we have table where uh, we are marked by the table, and you know as we know we do dinner church uh, once a fortnight, and so we're in each other's homes and we're around the table. We're eating dinner together. The table is is important to us, and so the table means that we invite and include all at the family table, investing into each other's lives. And so, yes, we do dinner church, but more than that, the the table was significant for Jesus. It was where he often would meet people and engage in conversations. We would hang out with the sinners and did radical things and hang out with the sinners. And he got in trouble because he was hanging out with the sinners at the table and eating with them. Uh, where he would be hanging out with Pharisees at the table and people would come and meet with him and uh, kiss his feet and do weird things at the table. Uh, there was powerful moments that happened in the story of Jesus at the table and then um, you know, culminating in the, the, the last meal, the, his last final meal with his disciples, instead of having this big lecture about uh, you know, the work of, of communion and the symbols of what it really means and this beautiful uh, uh, symbolism of his, his body and his blood and how, that, how that's actually going to impact us as the church. Instead of lecturing, he just chose to have a meal around a table and to eat with them and let them actually eat and drink of this meal. It's, it was significant for Jesus and food is a very good thing. And so there's this importance of table that actually um, helps us see that where the table is this symbol of inclusivity. We, we welcome people, those who, who are, uh, you, we may not get along. As we welcome people at the table, there's a connection, a bond that is formed. It's also this, this vision of, of actually working, investing into each other's lives because at the, around the table you can have these conversations and go deep into one another's life. There's this theologian called uh, Miroslav Volf, uh, who's a theologian and professor at Yale University. He he grew up in um, Croatia, and uh, his dad was a a Baptist pastor there, and uh, in Croatia experienced some some horrific uh, wars and uh, work of communism working through him, and um, the the work of Serbian neighbours kind of warring with them, and he had this kind of perception of them, and anyway, he he got out of of Croatia and went into a Bible college, and 
uh, as he was in this Bible college, he, uh, he was asked this question from a professor. He was asked, how can you as a Croatian Christian love your Serbian neighbor? And it was, it was at that moment that he knew that if he could not ask himself that question, that he could not become a Christian theologian. He couldn't seriously actually think about Christianity if he couldn't ask himself this question. And it was wrestling with that question that he actually came out and wrote a book that's called Exclusion and Embrace. And it was uh, in that wrestle, it was, he's, in the book, he's wrestling with the, the easy assumption that if we love, we should uh, just let go the bad things. If we love, the bad things doesn't matter and you can just do whatever you want. But he, in this book, he's making a statement that, that no, that's absolutely not love. That when bad things happen, love means saying no. Love means naming and shaming, which is kind of the exclusion part of the book. But also, the book's called Exclusion and Embrace. That but na- naming and shaming should be only done with embrace with reconciliation in mind, with this, this kindness in mind. And the, the, this, it's a difficult thing, this suffering and hurt and pain, and dealing with this grief and learning how to love as a Christian despite having all these feelings. And it's a difficult thing. It's not an easy just thing. But this, this is the wrestle that um, Miroslav Vlov was, Volf was uh, going through in this book. And this is kind of what it means for us at the table. It's learning how to actually include others that, that may be, it may be difficult for us to include. Not necessarily trying to bring out any kind of bad relationships that are going on. I, it's more mean like at the people that we see in the world around us, the people that we don't identify with, the people that we maybe have thought negatively of, maybe God is actually bringing us together at the table. Those things can get done as we eat a meal. There's a heart of inclusivity, of learning how to love each other in exclusion and embrace. And this is a journey that I think that you know, I want to lead us into, of learning what this means. And in no means that I'm, am I just saying this is that you should just get over it, or I just want to be clear, there's, that's a journey. And that's what I think is important at the table, and learning how to wrestle with the love question of exclusion and embrace. And so there's this, yeah, this beautiful thing of what we see in loving one another at the table. It's a key for us, including one another, including those who are outside, inviting and investing into each other's lives and seeing that work as a church around the table. Lastly, we have, we have mission. We, have, we live as, as a sacrificial mission for the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of the city, of our city, that there is a mission in the heart of who we are, mission in how we work and what we put our hands to, mission in how we see our city and the people around us, mission to see the spiritual, social, cultural setting of our city changed and renewed, actually see something of God come alive in this city, see Him change people, and transform others. There's a mission that God calls us into to actually demonstrate his love in, by loving others in, in a way that, yeah, he calls us to shine the light of Christ that is so important 
to go beyond who we are and go beyond what we're doing and actually see the people around us. See our job environment as an opportunity to actually bring life. See and believe that as we interact with those who are vulnerable or doing it tough, that we believe for justice and mercy to come upon them. Actually having a heart of mission that is critical for us as a people. And so there's, yeah, that's kind of this purpose, this way of life that I wanted to invite us into. And there's much to explore as we think about this. And presenting this here and, and uh, calling you into it, is, is, there's nothing magical about this. There's nothing kind of oh, special about this necessarily. At the heart of all that we're doing here is the very top line, to know Jesus. If anything that I want us to be marked by is that we want to be people who know him. Knowing him is not just knowing about him. Knowing him is not just, yes, I've heard of Jesus. But knowing him is this intimate relationship where we know him. We hunger for him. We just want to be around him. More than anything, I want us to be marked as people who know Jesus. If you're thinking about this, this thing this week and you know, even think about it, like there was a lot that Joel just unraveled and there's so many of the things that you could change and shift. The first thing is just, I, w- I want to know you, Jesus. That it's, that's something that you can wake up every morning and go, I want to know you, Jesus. That's something that is when you get... You know, go into your day and you, you get stressed by all the things that you need to get done, just have a moment. I want to know you, Jesus. It's something where, you know, the, the kids are yelling, things are going crazy. Like for me, a couple of nights ago, actually it was yesterday, <laughs> I went into the bathroom and it was just, Jesus, I just want to know you. And it's, it's, it's amazing, even just a small moment like that can actually help. It's, yeah, I'm always amazed that, well, it actually helped. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I surprise myself how good God is. Um, and so we, we all need these moments where we actually just, again, seeking Him and seeking for His heart in our lives and see His grace, His life working in us. And so uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to continue to unpack how this can look like and um, what this all means and how this can work in our lives and kind of map out some things, particularly next week and in our dinner church settings. We're going to have some, some time to actually think about how we can actually let this into our lives. Uh, but, yeah, I want us to have this heart of knowing him, knowing Jesus. Let that be in your minds this week, just to know him. Sometimes I, I can get overly complex in my own mind and have to think that there needs to be this special theological view of how I see things. It needs to be more than... And he just keeps bringing me back to just, I want, I want you to know me. And that means unraveling all the parts of us. It actually means going deep. It's a lot harder than just saying on the surface. It's a lot harder than just speaking the words and actually letting God in the deep parts of who we are to know him. Let him shape us. And so if the band want to come up, we're going to 
uh, finish with a, a worship song, a uh, song of declaring, God, we want to know you and we want to be where you are. Uh, but as I do, I just let me finish with some prayer. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here tonight. Jesus, we thank you that you want to know us, that you reach out to us. We thank you for your faithfulness and obedience to the Father, that you would give your life for us as a sacrifice in order for us to know you, connect with you, let you into our thoughts, the crazy thoughts that are in us. Let you into the feelings that can be jumbled up. We just let you into our lives here tonight. We let you into our hearts. If you, even if just if you feel comfortable, maybe just place your hands in front of you. It's just a symbol of saying, God, my, my heart and my life is open to you. I'm here, God, to be filled with your spirit. Lord, I empty myself of just what I can do, what I understand, and I just ask, God, that you would fill me with your life and spirit, that I want to be someone who lives after your call and will for my life, to be someone who, who knows you, Jesus, and demonstrates your love, doing that in a way, to doing that together. And so, Jesus, we just open our lives to you. We open all that we are to you, God, that you would come and move. God, any places of fear or worry or stress, we ask that they would go in the name of Jesus and that we declare your freedom, your renewal life, your new creation life in our worlds, God, in our minds, into our homes, our families in our workplace situation, God, I thank you. You redeem things, that you bring things that are dead and bring them back to life. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work, that you would move in our lives and hearts. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. We you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You may... Um, you may stand as we sing.